Welcome to episode 112 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This week we are looking at Postmodern Prometheus, Season 5, Episode 5, original air date November 30th, 1997. The IMDb user score has risen from 8.5 to 8.8 out of 10. And while there's no location given in this one, so I can't say which state the action primarily takes place in. In fact, it feels a bit like a fairy tale, so it's deliberately vague and may or may not even be in continuity, so to speak. If it's entirely up to me, I would actually pick this as the best standalone episode of the series, second only to Anasazi as the best myth arc episode of the series. This is a love letter to the universal horror films of the 1930s, with emphasis on the Frankenstein entries in that shared universe. Yes, it's true, Universal had a shared universe in movies over 70 years before Marvel movies moved into the same territory. The latest attempt to watch a shared universe with The Mummy is not a rip-off, but a return to form that they've chosen to invest in at this particular time because of Marvel's success. So before we get into this, I want to give some background for those who haven't read it. Mary Shelley wrote a story called Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus. In this story, Victor Frankenstein was studying at Ingolstadt University when he first realized how to breathe life into non-living tissue. His creation is misjudged as a monster by all, including himself, due to its outward appearance, when it is Victor himself who's the real monster. Victor tries to ignore his creation and live happily with his wife Elizabeth, but things don't play out that way. The creation is strongly influenced by Milton's Paradise Lost. Mary Shelley wrote the story on a dare when engaged to Lord Byron, whose personal physician was Dr. John Polidori. Anyway, back to the X-Files. The only color elements of this story are the opening and closing shots, aside from the opening credit sequence. And those shots appear to establish the episode as a fictional story even within the X-Files universe itself, with a comic cover opening and closing. As many of the independent comics of the 1990s were, in black and white for practical reasons, so is this story, in homage to the source material and to the 1930s films that it was homaging so greatly. The Great Mutado is a deformed man who's associated with a variety of women getting impregnated against their will. Muller and Scully investigate what may be a hoax, only to find that the Great Mutado was real, and a sterile woman really did get pregnant. An old man intervenes with their hunt for the Great Mutado, promising to introduce Mulder and Scully to the real monster, and they are then introduced to Dr. Polidori. Polidori has been experimenting with genetics, and refuses to help his wife Elizabeth get pregnant. He does, however, create flies with legs growing out of their mouths and more, just because he can. Now, he initially says he's got to run off to give a talk at Ingolstadt University, but when he realizes what's going on in town, he does stay behind, kills the old farmer, and blames the murder on Mutato, who turns out to be one of his creations. Muller and Scully prove that Mutato was not the killer, and that Polidori is guilty. It's strongly implied that his other experiments involved combining animal DNA with humans to create some of the locals. There's a reporter with elements of chicken. Izzy, the boy who saw Mutato and wrote the comics based on him, seems to be part pig. His best friend is part goat, and so forth. As the episode is wrapping up, Mulder demands to talk to the writer, because he feels this is not the way the story should end. This is when Izzy comes in, and from there, instead of taking Mutato to prison, the entire town joins him at a Cher concert. Mutato loves Cher, as he strongly relates to Mask, a 1985 film that she starred in. In fact, the first assault takes place to The Sun Ain't Gonna Shine Anymore, during the lines about the rain starting to come down, 
which I thought might be a subtle reference to the Singing in the Rain scene from A Clockwork Orange. Now, this was written and directed by series creator Chris Carter, and also turned out to be a career-defining role in some ways for many cast members. First off, Cher was offered the chance to play herself, since she was known to be a fan of the show. She chose not to make room in her schedule, a decision she later regretted, but she did handpick Tracy Bell as the professional Cher impersonator to take her place. John O'Hurley makes his only X-Files appearance as Dr. Polidori, but is probably best known for playing Jay Peterman on Seinfeld, Greg Bennett on General Hospital, Alan Cooper in Valley of the Dolls, and Jonathan Madeleine on Loving. Patty Tierce plays Shanae Berkowitz in a role written for Roseanne Barr, but Roseanne refused to do it. Patty was also in Bubble Boy, The Good Humor Man, Rascals and Robbers, and Replacing Dad, and has a number of other TV guest appearances within her 24 credits on the IMDb. Now, this does appear to be a career-defining role for Stuart Gale, who plays Izzy Berkowitz. I say career-defining because as far as the IMDb is concerned, this is the only thing he's ever done. Chris Giacoletti plays Izzy's friend Booger in one scene. That's his only acting credit on the IMDb, although he played himself in an episode of Naked After Dark and was on the production crew of Committed and Fear Factor. Chris Owens appears as the Great Mutado in his second of three roles on The X-Files. He previously played the young cigarette-smoking man and will return later as Agent Jeffrey Spender. Dana Graham plays the reporter, who may have some chicken in her, but is also known for Resurrection, Outer Limits, and Millennium, which are her only three other acting credits. She was also a stand-in on Wounded. Jean-Yves Hamel plays Goat Boy. This is his only IMDb credit. Lloyd Berry plays the farmer in one of 54 acting credits. He's also known for playing parts in the original Jumanji, Scary Movie, April Fool's Day, and Aliens vs. Predator Requiem. Miriam Smith plays Elizabeth and has 30 credits to her name, including Capote, Agent Banks, Amrika, and Look Who's Talking Now. Xantha Radley has 45 acting credits, including Slither, Tomorrowland, 13 Ghosts, and the second X-Files movie. This is her only appearance in the series proper. She plays the waitress who spills coffee in Mulder's lap. Now, the scripted response, that's not a place you want to burn a guy, was approved by the Fox censors, but Duchovny's ad-libbed response of, great, now my crotch will be up all night, was denied that approval. C. Ernst Harth plays the huge man and has 93 IMDb credits, including 13 Ghosts, Capote, Smoking Aces 2, and Joe Finds Grace. And Jerry Springer plays himself. Now the science for this one? Well, genetic modification is possible today, but there's a whole lot of 20-somethings and 30-somethings in this town that appear to have been produced by genetic modification through the homeotic Hox genes that Dr. Polidori is doing his research in. Now, homeotic Hox genes were discovered in 1983, although their effects had been known since the 1800s. So that's only 14 years before this episode aired. It probably caught Chris Carter's attention when a team who studied it won a Nobel Prize in 1995. So the timelines don't add up at all, and GMO technology to combine animal DNA with humans at this level and at this time simply didn't exist. I don't think it even exists today. I'm not saying. It will never exist. I don't understand the science well enough to make that determination, but we are not there yet, and we certainly weren't there long enough to have legal adults who were produced by this process in 1997. So that's about all we have to say about the postmodern Prometheus, aside from the awards it was nominated for. Typically, talk of Emmy Awards and such is saved for the season wrap-up, but this particular episode ended up with seven nominations in the 1998 awards. 
That was Outstanding Writing, Outstanding Directing, Outstanding Art Direction, Outstanding Cinematography, Single Picture Editing, Makeup, and Music Composition. And Graham Murray, Greg Lowen, and Shirley Ingot ended up winning for Outstanding Art Direction, which was the only one that this particular episode actually won that year. So that's all we have to say about the postmodern Prometheus. Join us again in two weeks' time when we look at A Christmas Carol and Emily, the two-part episode combined and discussed in a single podcast. Until then, thank you for listening.